You're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordchurch.org. Today's message comes from our executive pastor, Vincent Pavone. I don't know if you know this, but uh, you probably don't have never heard this, but uh, according to Forbes magazine, it's a business magazine, uh, there is a lot that you can tell about a person by their chosen ringtone. Think about that. So everybody take out your cell phone. No, I'm only kidding. Uh, sometimes when a phone goes off and somebody forgets and, you know, you, you hear that, you can identify not only the person, but there's something along that goes along with it. There's, there's a whole, there's a whole uh, psychological profile associated with this. You know, who would have thought about that, right? Uh, so actually, I wanted to share with you what my ringtone was uh, a while ago, and I had changed it, and there's a reason why I changed it. Some of you may recognize this. Uh, it's, it's a musical note or two, and it's called Piano Riff, and uh, it goes like this. If you're looking for trouble, you came to the right place. If you're looking for trouble, you look right in my face. <laughs> now, I got to tell you, that used to be my ringtone. Uh, but my ringtone now is this. All right. That's cool. Listen. The reason why I changed my ringtone is because I discovered a long time ago that trouble actually comes looking for me. And I got to tell you something about everybody else here today, that no matter what your ringtone is, that trouble will come looking for you. Now, when it talks about Jesus, prophetically, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet said that the Messiah would be a man of sorrows, familiar with grief or familiar with pain and misery. It's called the man of suffering. And so Jesus knows experientially what it's like to suffer, to go through troubles, to go through difficulties. But here's the caveat, right? And Jesus warned his disciples to expect that they would have troubles. In this world, he said, you will have troubles, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Now, how Jesus overcame his troubles, and his adversaries, and all of his enemies is of great importance to us so that we might likewise be inspired to follow after him. So take heart. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we welcome you with open arms. We're so glad that you're here, and we hope that you will discover today that there is a Savior who loves you, who gave his life for you so that you would have eternal life and delivered from the greatest trouble of all, Eternal troubles. So, you know as well as anybody else that no one skates through this life without experiencing some measure of pain and sorrow. I mean, it happens to every single one. Help me finish the the saying, into each person's life a little rain must fall. You ever heard that? Well, there's rain, and then there's there's rain. You know, there's, there's tsunamis that sometimes take place. But I believe this with all my heart, that 
how we go through storms, how we go through these events in our life has a profound effect not only upon the way we live here and now, but it has a profound effect upon eternity as well. When the dust settles and the skies are clear again, I believe that the only ones that will remain standing will be those who build their lives upon the solid foundation of Jesus Christ and his words. And not only that, but in the process, become more like Jesus. Listen, when life is filled with problems, nobody says, oh, man, this is awesome. This is so great. I just love this. No, nobody says that. Because we all want to live a problem-free life, but that's not reality, is it? So when troubles come and they show up, we have a choice of either one or two responses. It's either fight or flight. Flight is an attempt to avoid pain. And I tell you what, there's a whole lot of ways that people can find ways of trying to numb themselves against the pain and sorrow that takes place in their life. And there's no limit to the imagination about trying to escape your problems. But that's a delusion. You can't escape your problems. Your troubles will come and find you, guaranteed. If you're a believer, flight is never an option unless that flight is to the throne of grace to find strength and help at the time of need. But you're not really fleeing. You're finding grace and strength to help you fight. Interestingly, the Apostle Paul, the very last thing that we have recorded from him is 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is right before his execution. This is what Paul said. He says, I have fought the good fight of faith. I've kept the faith. And from now on, or henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. By the way, the crown that he's talking about is a victor's crown that was known in Rome, right? So there's a, there's a, a victor's crown for him, but not only for me, but also for all those that love the appearing of Jesus. So what, what, what is this fight of faith? And this is what Paul says, I fought the good fight. And so that is the way in which we fight all of our adversaries in this life. It's with faith. In fact, Pastor Doug last week shared about how faith is one of the pieces of armor. It's a shield that is able to extinguish all of the fiery darts of the wicked one, right? But it's more than just a shield. It is a shield, but it's more than just a shield. It is, in 1 John 5, 4, the Bible says, it is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So we're going to talk a little bit about faith this morning. Paul and Troubles... Paul in adversity and difficulties. And while the Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, it also says the Lord delivers them out of them all. And we're going to see about some, sometimes deliverance doesn't necessarily look like what you expect. However, here's a short summary of some of the things that Paul experienced. And he mentions a whole bunch of perils, perils of robbers, perils of false brothers. He says, he says that he had been stoned, he had been uh, flogged, beaten with rods, shipwrecked, spending 36 hours adrift at sea. This is the condensed version of what Paul experienced. Hunger, he says, thirst, nakedness, often. And yet through it all, Paul never gave up. He never quit. He never complained because faith enabled him to overcome all of those adverse things that were taking place. And in our life, faith will safeguard us in the day that the tsunami may be raging. I think it's fair to say that Paul graduated at the top of his class from the University 
of adversity. And I have a feeling that some of us have already taken classes there, or maybe in the future, adversity. But it was through faith that Paul overcame and became unshakable in the face of real hardship. To be clear, I'm not talking about having faith in your faith. That, that, that's misconstrued. No, having faith in God, having your trust in God. Do you know the Bible only uses the word faith twice in the Old Testament? But it uses the word many times of trusting in God, which is basically that's what we have to have. We have to have this confidence in God that God is good, that he is for me and not against me. God is good. Amen? And so faith is the ability to see beyond our painful present or our present darkness. And it's so important. It's like a vehicle. It's like the, the vehicle that drove you here this morning, you know? Uh, you didn't get here on your own power unless you lived across the street or you just walked here, but, but most of us came by car, right? So think of faith as the vehicle that drives us to our ultimate destination, and our ultimate destination is God himself and the Lord who loves us so very much. See, th there will come a day when we will no longer need faith, and faith will give place to sight, but that day is not yet. So faith is the ability to see beyond our present pain. And the writer of the book of Hebrews, in the 11th chapter, it takes this entire chapter to talk about the feats of faith and the importance of faith and the virtue of faith. I mean, it's a lot of scripture devoted, and he uses a lot of examples of, of those who are just flawed people, just like all of us, but who triumphed over adversity through faith. And one of the examples that he uses is Moses. And Moses had certainly his weaknesses and his flaws, but he was able to stand before the most powerful man on earth, the Egyptian Pharaoh. And this is what it says concerning him. It says, by faith, he, Moses, forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. And, he, and he, here's the way that he did that. For he was able to endure seeing him who is invisible. There are eyes to our faith, not physical eyes, but there are spiritual eyes to our faith that enables us to see beyond our present suffering. Consider the sufferings for a minute of Job. I mean, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around what this guy experienced in one single afternoon, one succession right after another. He loses his children. He loses his health. He loses his wealth. He loses his reputation. But he doesn't fold. He doesn't quit. He doesn't give up. In fact, this is his perspective, and we see that it's the same consistency that what was going on in Moses' life. And this is what it says in Job 19. It says, for as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. He's looking forward to the coming of a Messiah. I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, and yet in my body, I will see God. He believed in Life after death. He believed in a resurrected body that had the ability to see God face to face. Faith in God and the faith that comes from God enabled Job to be unshakable, enabled Moses to be unshakable in the midst of difficulty, pain, and misery. Faith sees our ultimate destiny. But maybe the best example of all, which is, which is, which is the crescendo of chapter 11 anyway, it, it's coming to Jesus, the author and the, the perfecter, or the I like to call it the, uh, 
the sustainer. Thank you, honey. Appreciate that. She was here before. So he is the sustainer of her faith. And, and, and you know why that is so important? Not, it, it, you remember when Peter was, Jesus said, Simon, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. That can't be very good, right? But I pray for you that your faith would not fail. He is our sustainer of faith. So Jesus, I want you to consider Jesus for a minute. He endured way more than just the physical sufferings or the pain of the cross or being, or being scourged or having a crown of thorns put on his head or his side opened up by a spear. Those were all physical. But Jesus endured enormous pressure when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the proof of that is that he sweat great drops of blood having come under such tremendous burden. The burden of being made sin for us and absorbing the wrath of God, absorbing what would be considered to become a curse for us, to be made sin for us, the one who was absolutely innocent and pure. I mean, that's hard for us to, to really grasp and understand. But I suppose the, 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 the most pressure-filled moment was when Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said that. Think about that for a minute, the pressure that he was under. In that moment, the anguish Jesus felt was even greater than when he sweat great drops of blood. But I want you to know this. Jesus didn't say, oh God, oh God, why? He said, my God, my God. Meaning he never lost his identity or his mission or his purpose or the love of his father. My God, my God. He never wavered. He never quit. No, Jesus triumphed over every enemy because he was able to, like Moses and like Job, look beyond his present suffering to his ultimate destiny. And when we come to chapter 12, that is the crescendo. And we're going to look at a couple of verses here in chapter 12. It says in verse 2, after, after we're called upon to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the sustainer of our faith, it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. Moses endured. Job endured. Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Well, what was the joy that was set before him? What enabled Jesus to disregard the shame and the pain of crucifixion? Being made a curse, which was a scandal in the first century. And anyone thinking about their possibility of being crucified. It was this, this, no Roman citizen was ever crucified or executed in such a manner. It was only the dregs of society that would have had such a fate. Think about that. But we see Jesus stripped of his garments, humiliated, condemned to death to carry his own cross. But no amount of pain, no amount of disgrace could have dissuaded him from believing in his destiny, in his mission, and in his, his identity as who he was, the Son of God, becoming the Son of Man. And that in a few short moments, a brief moments, after he had dismissed his spirit, that he would ascend to the very hand of God, sit down upon the throne of God, and rule over all the nations of the earth as his inheritance. Jesus, that was the joy set before him. But it was more than just that. Jesus was determined to experience the shame and the degradation of crucifixion, and he ignored the insults, though 
He was reviled, he reviled not again, but he committed himself to the one who judges justly. He suffered for us and as us so that we might know a freedom from the power of the grave. He looked with hopeful anticipation to a new kind of life for human beings that would know no sickness, no disease, and no death, that we would become a new species or a new creation in Christ Jesus defined by an endless life where we're, we're no longer going to deal with sin. We're no longer going to deal with temptation. So the writer of Hebrews goes on to say in verse 3, think of the hostility that he endured from sinful people so that you won't become weary and give up. Clearly, that verse it was meant for, for them and for us so that they would not quit, that they would take heart, that they would be encouraged to never give up. What the apostle is saying here is that be inspired by the story of Jesus. Look to Jesus. Be encouraged by his victory. Follow in his example of trusting God when everything is, is falling apart in your life. Take heart because Jesus said, I've overcome the world. And take heart because he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Lord, I'm with you always, even until the end of time. Take heart because I've overcome the world. And that's the reason why we can be encouraged, even in the face of trials and difficulties. In fact, James says, count it all joy when you enter into various trials. For the trying of your faith is more precious right, than, than gold and the development of patience and endurance. But just like Jesus, we have a hope that's set before us. It is our forward looking to a better day, a better time that empowers us to overcome adversity. In fact, we could have a different, a change of perspective, a, a, a complete change of attitude toward this when we go through stuff. This is, what, this is what the Apostle Paul says. Listen, I may not like it when I find myself in the midst of trouble and difficulty. You have to be a little nutty to say, oh, this is great, right? But I could agree with Scripture when it, when it says this, that the sufferings of this present age are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that awaits us. Something wonderful, something beyond our imagination is waiting for those that are in Christ Jesus. And God, the scripture says, has, has been preparing things that are beyond our imagination, wonderful things that God has in store to those that love him. See, trusting God connects me, connects my soul to eternity and all that God has promised me in eternity. Think about the incredible destiny that we have in Christ, all because of the one who fought for us and won the battle and the victory over sin and death. And you know what? He's by our side and he says to us, I will hold you by the right hand. I will stand with you. I, will, I am for you and not against you. And I will defend you and strengthen you. We see this invincible attitude expressed in so many places in the Word of God. Here's, here's just one of them. And, and, and this is a perspective that we need to have when we go through difficult times. The apostle says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for our light and momentary troubles. Now, sometimes it doesn't seem like a moment, does it? It seems like this is lasting forever. But in light of eternity, by comparison to eternity... He says, they are light and momentary troubles, but they are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes. Here is the, 
the, the message encapsulated for what is, as we fix our eyes on what is seen, not on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary. This life is like a vapor, but what is unseen is eternal. And so faith gives us the ability to have eyes to see beyond our present darkness to the one who sovereignly reigns over it all. What is set before us? What, what, what do we have to look forward to in the future? You know, let, let me show you just one scripture that is, I believe, has profound implications or, or profound possibilities. Now, the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians chapter 2, he's reminding us and he's reminding the Ephesians that we're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God so that, I want you to see what the so that is. So that, verse 7, in the ages to come, Ages are, are endless ages or age after age after eternity. In the ages to come, he might display the exceeding greatness of his kindness toward us in Christ. We have an appointment. Listen, the word that ought to jump out at us is that word kindness, divine kindness. We have an appointment with kindness, divine kindness. And, and I think one of the expressions and there are so many probably that we can come up with, but, but even that would even scratch the surface. But I want you to think about this. Maybe one of the greatest manifestations of God's kindness is to allow us to see God face to face. And God's got to come up real close if he's going to wipe every tear from our eye. And God's going to be real close if he's going to embrace us himself and know his loving kindness. Think about that. Think about the greatest pleasure you've ever had in this life. And then times that by infinity. Eternity will be overflowing with incredible kindness that knows no boundaries, no limitations. That's easy to be kind to somebody that you love. It's easy to be kind to a child, to your child, to your grandchild, to your spouse. But God is kind to those that don't deserve to be. To, show, to be shown kindness. God is kind to those that are ill-deserving. What would, what would make God want to show kindness to the ill-deserved? Well, the answer lies in the very heart of who God is and what he's prepared for us in eternity. And I tell you this, it will be worth every single struggle that we ever have experienced. In fact, I've already said that it's not even worthy of comparison. When I was a boy and uh, I was living in Brooklyn, over the course of several summers, uh, I attended a, uh, what was called a CYO day camp. I picked us up in the morning on a bus and they brought us to Coney Island. It was great. I loved it. And I did that for uh, several years in my young years. And uh, the camp counselor who uh, was organizing our age group wanted to have a day in which there was like a competition. And we were competing against other uh, day camps as well. And uh, so we had these, all of these Olympic trials that were uh, going to, you know, uh, take place in competitions. And, and he asked me, he said, he said I, want, I want you to sit down with me over the next two days. And I want, we, I want to go over uh, those who, who have the greatest strength in this area or that area. Because I basically knew all the kids and I knew their strengths, I knew their weaknesses. But, but the only problem was 
I had to give up my afternoon, two afternoons of swimming. I had no way. <laughs> Was I going to do that? I sacrificed future glory for the sake of pleasure. And as a result of that, our group did not finish in the running for any kind of a prize. And we could have, and we should have. Now, that was a long time ago, a very long time ago. I can't even tell you how many years ago that was. You probably know I'm older than 39. <laughs> but I tell you what, I have never forgotten the regret that I felt as a result of being unwilling to sacrifice a moment of pleasure for future glory. I, I mention that because I wonder how many people are sacrificing their future because of a moment of pleasure. You see, pleasure, it, that's one of the things that we kind of gravitate to when things are getting tough. We kind of think, well, we're entitled to some pleasure. And, and, and we might be drifting away from, you know, we, 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 we might... We might just have this feeling of pulling back. When we find ourselves in the midst of a tsunami, we pull back from church, or we pull back from giving, or we pull back from serving the Lord, or we, we pull back from reading the word. That's the temptation. But take heart means that we double down in our commitment to follow hard after God. Listen, life is difficult, and there are troubles that, that, that we encounter because of our identity in Christ, but retreat is never an answer. Taking heart is the answer. That's what Jesus said, but take heart. Now, I, I would be negligent if I, if I didn't share with you the other side of faith, because faith has two sides. It's like a coin, and there's not just one side to it. There's, there, there's, there's two sides to faith, and I'm speaking about what can be called the unsung side Faith. Well, what do I mean by the unsung side of faith? There, there are songs in Scripture that came out of a victory. Uh, for instance, Moses. The song of Moses was, was composed by Moses uh, when the horse and the chariot, Egyptian riders, were, were, were drowned in the sea. And he composed the song. Miriam took the tambourine and she began to, to, to dance with the ladies and they all began to celebrate because it was a song of victory. We read about David having songs of victory, sung concerning him that Saul had slain his thousands, but David had slain his tens of thousands. And that was a song that the women sang. It was a song of victory. But on the other side, the unsung side of faith, there are songs that would just be so hard to sing because of the experience of what we're going to look at. Because this is... This is chapter 11. This is talking about the importance of faith, the virtues of faith. And so the writer says in Hebrews 11.35, some were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. Having the choice to be set free or being tortured, they didn't have to make up their minds. They knew what they wanted to do. They would not deny God. They kept the faith. They were faithful to God. Verse 36 says, some were jeered at. Their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawn in half. And others were killed with the sword. Destitute, oppressed, and naked. 
But they all endured seeing him who is invisible. All these earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. I want to make this very clear. I think what God has promised them will be fulfilled, but it might be fulfilled in eternity beyond, really, their imagination. Remember that story about Job in the beginning when I mentioned that Job was, he lost all of his children, he lost all of his wealth, he lost all of his health? That's not the end of his story. The end of his story in the last chapter of the book of Job, we discovered that Job was blessed with twice as much. So his losses were temporary, but his gains were permanent. And for those who did not receive the promise, their losses were temporary but their gains were eternal. So when it says that some did not receive the promise, I believe that no one and nothing could take away our appointment to see God face to face. And I believe that every struggle that we have in this life will only make eternity sweeter. Young Sung's side of faith is no less virtuous, no less important, no less godly than those who escape the edge of the sword or shut the mouth of lions or, or escape the, the violence of fire. And that last reference, it's easy for us to figure out, talking about Daniel and talking about Hananiah, Shadrach, uh, or Hananiah, Azariah, and Ishael, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which, which was the name that was given to them. But, but we ought to have that same attitude because we don't know you know, God may fulfill the promise. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, about this right now. But you know what they said? They said, our God is able to deliver us out of your hand, O King Nebuchadnezzar. But if not, we will not bow down to your graven image. Their if not was not an expression of doubt or unbelief. No, no, it was a statement of resolute submission, surrender to the will of God. It's the same thing that Jesus said. Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will. Let your will be done. It's easy to sing songs of praise when there's a fourth man walking with you in the fire. And I do believe that Jesus does come walking with us in the midst of our tsunamis. He did to Paul. On one occasion, he sent an angel and that angel strengthened Paul so that he could strengthen all those that were on a ship that was about to sink. And he said, there was an angel that stood by me last night, and he told me that there was not one of you who was going to be lost except for the ship. And in his last letter, right before his execution, he said, and the Lord stood by me, and he strengthened me to preach and proclaim the gospel. God is faithful to us. We'll let him work out how and the way in which his promises shall come to pass. But when Jesus was engulfed in that most epic storm of the cross, he entrusted himself to the care of the Father. So when you find yourself in the, embroiled in the midst of a, of a storm, entrust yourself to the care of the one who loves you, casting all of your cares upon him because 
he cares for you. But you say, how do I know that he really cares for me? How do I, how do I even know that he, he knows my situation? He knows where I live. It seems like he's forgotten me. That's a test. That's a trial that many have been through. We're going to sing a song in closing in a little while. I'm going to just ask everybody to stay seated during that time. But it's a great lyric from the song that we're going to sing. It says that the proof that he loves us, that he cares, are in his wounds. Did you, did you know that the only one in eternity that will have scars will be the scars that we'll see in his hands and in his feet and in his brow and in his back and in his side? But did you also know that those wounds are the windows through which God the Father sees you and me. And when he looks at us, he looks at us through the achievement of his son. And he says, you're righteous because my son is righteous. And that's how I see you. One of the lyrics is so great. It says, blood and tears. How can it be? There's a God who weeps. There's a God who bleeds. Think of that. How could it be? There's a God who weeps and a God who bleeds. We can take heart because we can boldly say, the Lord is my help. Of whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And that is a promise that we can hold on to. When troubles increase and the winds of, of adversity blow against us, and you might be tempted to pull back. You might be tempted to drift away. Don't do it. Take heart. Take heart means you double down. You press harder into God. Do not sacrifice the future for a few moments of pleasure. Fix your eyes on the author and the sustainer of your faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Take heart, and that's what this means, by setting our Mind, our affections on things that are above and not on the things of this earth is so, so transitory. It's so, it's so instantaneous. That's the right way to put it. Think about it. I want to pray for anyone that's here this morning that may be going through a trial or maybe you just come out of a trial or maybe you're just finding yourself right now just, just in need of encouragement. I want to pray that God would encourage your heart. But but not, not just that. If you're here this morning and you've never received Christ as your Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do so. In the way in which we'll kind of just lead you in prayer. But let me just pray for all of us right now. So, Father, we, we thank you so much for the opportunity, Lord God, to hear the word. Because faith comes by, by hearing and hearing by the word. And you said that you've given to us a measure of faith, but that measure of faith can grow. And it can increase. And I pray that after having heard the word this morning, that our faith will have grown a bit, that we'll be strengthened a little bit more today so that we might be able to stand against adversity and difficulty and remember that, God, you deliver us out of all of our afflictions. So I do pray, Lord God, for great encouragement to fill the house today. Now, if you're here this morning and you want to receive Christ as your Savior, you just need to open your heart. And you just say, yeah, I, I want that. 
I, I want Jesus. And, and just kind of say something like this in your heart with me now. Say, Jesus, I open my heart to you. Fill me with your presence. I believe that you're the son of God, that you died for me so that I might have eternal life. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. And I will thank you eternally. In Jesus' name.